calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. You hearing this? It sounds like... Yeah, this is playoff basketball! Time to tap into playoff mode. That non-stop, claw your way to the top, give it all you got type of thing. From inside the paint to outside the arena. Where did this come from? Everybody's got to get in playoff mode and stay in playoff mode. Every single round. The NBA playoffs presented by Google Pixel continue on ABC, ESPN, and TNT. This is John Rocco, one third of the Geek Buddies with this awesome ad for you. If you like this show and you want to make your own and some of you reached out and asked us about making your own podcast, well, let me tell you about Anchor. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And now you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. The possibilities are endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never heard before. Go ahead and let your freak flag fly. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many more places. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Take it from us here at the Geek Buddies. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now, on with the Geek Buddies show. Good day, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Geek Buddies! Hey! All right, we got that one right virtually. So much fun. Uh, Excited today to talk about so many things that are going on here, some fun stuff and some serious stuff going on in the world of entertainment, you know, for our weekly Geek Buddies show. Definitely going to jump into the Dune trailer, the Star Trek Discovery trailer, talk a little bit about Star Trek Day, uh, and also uh, talk about the uh, Daisy Ridley situation that happened for just a little bit. And then uh, jump into our main topic, which is, of course, tackling the new diversity uh, rules that have been passed down by Ampass, the Oscars organization, for a film to qualify for Best Picture. So we're going to get into the controversy of all that and if these rules will actually be effective 
down the road when they go into effect in 2024. So a lot to cover here on the Geek Buddies. I am one of your hosts. I am the outlaw, John Roca. I am not an outlaw. I'm a law-abiding citizen. Uh, Michael Vogel. I am a writer and producer of animated TV shows and movies. And this is Shannon McClung. I would call myself chaotic neutral. And I'm also a television actor and an animation writer where you may have seen me on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Teen Wolf, and Silicon Valley. And I am mostly healthy. <laughs> That's right. Welcome back, Shannon. Recovering from that cut on your finger. Oh. Uh, Apparently you were you were you were clipping your nails a little too short and you got the old man's disease and got yourself infected. Is that what oh, happened? Okay, that's not exactly oh, what happened. Oh, there's gonna be a new story now. You were riding a motorcycle on MI7 and whatever. <laughs> no, I my thumb started to hurt one day. And the pain was similar to if I had uh, clipped my nail too short. Oh, so okay. why would that? Why would that be any cause for concern? And the next day, I had a little dried blood spot under my nail, and then the, it just uh, the, the so it you, went downhill fast. So you still don't even know what it was. Like it just started hurting, and, and no the doctor idea. was like, "Like you could have had like a alien parasite inside of you, and we wouldn't know. Like it's just it could be yeah. anything." It's that that certainly that's on the table. It's in the mix. Um, wow. Because I I went to I went to an urgent care and I had to go to an ER two separate occasions. Um, but both of them were kind of like, so you don't know what you did. <laughs> like you didn't you didn't slam it on anything. You didn't get a, a splinter. I'm like, no, right. I I, right. Have, I have no idea. And then uh, wow. the little procedure that I had to have one of the most painful things that I've ever been uh, awake for. I think we have a picture of it right here. There it is. Uh, just his thumb. <laughs> right uh, looks pretty gnarly. Not going to lie. Looks pretty gnarly. There. The, real thing, it, the real thing was way grosser. I, do, you, do you guys have this thing like like Corona has made us all like hypersensitive to everything? Like yes. I wake up with like a scratchy throat and I'm like, this is it. I got the COVID. <laughs> I literally did the same thing. You told us about the thumb and I was like, man, he doesn't even know what happened. He's so sick. Like this is horrible. And then I was walking Bosco and it was really early in the morning. It was like 545. He woke me up early. So I'm like walking down my street and I poked a like uh, one of those hard palm fronds that was like out. Oh. And I literally like poked my arm and I got like the <laughs> tiniest little like it just it just like poked my arm and it was like a little bit of blood. And I'm like, oh, that hurts. And then by the end of the walk, it was like just still stinging a little bit. And I was like what if this is like what happened to Shannon? Like what if this is the thing that takes me out? And I was convinced for like a half a day. I kept like, I kept like touching it. I was like, is this okay? Like, is there a bump here? I don't know. Like I'm, I'm, I'm going to miss Geek Buddies next week because the plant took me out. When I, I can say from my recent experience, when you have an injury, the best thing to do is to repeatedly touch it. That's a, that was solid thinking. Mikey. <laughs> Listen, out of the three of us, I get sick the least, so I don't want to hear it. Whatever I'm doing, That's I'm true. doing right. True. I think we have a picture of Mikey's arm as well right there. There it is. <laughs> picture of Mikey's arm. Uh, looks, I don't know. It looks like you should have gone to the doctor for sure. Uh, I like that you got all the vascularity in the big bite. <laughs> by the way, by the way, that was all, like like you showed this thing. You're like you you googled like you know picture bruised arm, and I was like, yeah, yeah that's a built arm. It looks like I've been working out. I'm good. I'm, I'll take it. You know what? Show I will take it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I had the same thing right when I had the food poisoning. I was nervous that it was COVID, and we went and actually got tested for it. So yeah, it's crazy what you you're all afraid of it now because I mean, we're seeing how many people get infected by it. 
And it's scary to hear, uh, uh, you know, what could happen to you. And so many people talk about what's happening afterwards. So just scary, scary stuff. So I'm glad you're, you're back, Shanna. You missed a great show. We had a really good time with Tim Sheridan on the show. And hopefully, Mikey, hopefully we can bring Tim back to do a full show with us. Because if there's anyone who likes to take the filters off his opinions on things, it is certainly Tim Sheridan. Uh, so it could be a fun experience if he ever, if he ever has the uh, the stones to do it uh, and we, not we risk really any of his be, jobs. We should really just be lining up the replacements in case Shannon doesn't make it through the next two weeks. So we should probably have like just like who's who's the fair new point. geek buddy. It's a fair yeah. point. Hey, it's I, a new I, contest. I, 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 our listeners don't always know that the delicate ecosystem that is my body. So it doesn't take a lot. It's true. <laughs> to sideline me. <laughs> I mean, look at that. It doesn't take a lot. Let's take a look at that again. Wow. Wow. Pretty scary yeah. stuff. No I, just, I just looked at it the wrong way and it swelled up like that. <laughs> right, scary stuff. Uh, all right. Anyway, uh, let's get into our first. For those of you, sorry, for those of you who are new to the show, thank you so much for downloading us or watching us uh, on YouTube or downloading us on the podcast uh, stream that we do. Uh, if you watch us only on YouTube, just here's a little uh, thing. We also have a podcast feed for the geek buddies just look for the geek buddies wherever you download podcasts and you can listen to us later if you like you know working around the house you don't want to watch our faces you can listen to the content of the show all over again i know some of you listen to it more than once so thank you so much for doing so uh for those of you who are uh new thanks for taking a chance on us for those of you who are coming back uh this is uh, a big thank you that you are with us for so long and, uh, you know, enduring all the changes that we go through, all the fun stuff we, uh, we talk about and all, all the wall busting we do uh, about our, about ourselves. And certainly today is already starting out to be no different. So uh, great stuff. Uh, if for those of you new, let me explain the show. We each present a geek news item. We talk about it amongst ourselves, three of them. And then we take a little bit of a mini break uh, that we put in there for our sponsors, uh, for our uh, podcast feeds, and then jump into our main topic. And the Oscars is our main topic today. So let's get to our first geek news item. Uh, Shannon, I think you're up first. That would be me. So this morning, just this is this news is two hours old. The uh, <laughs> first trailer for uh, Dune from Denny Villeneuve of uh, Arrival fame, of Blade Runner 2049, of Sicario, his epic, epic looking adaptation of Frank Hubert's novel. Uh, we got the first trailer today and it's a big trailer. It's almost, yeah. I think it's almost three minutes. Yep, and yep. this cast is just, I mean, when the announcements were coming out, it was like, wow, this is a very, very impressive cast. But then seeing everybody on the screen and it looked like everybody got their moment. And again, and just it's an enormous cast and a three minute trailer. Um, this is going to be a really, really interesting film. One, if it still comes out on time, like we'll we'll see. We'll see what happens there. But the trailer was just everything we sort of expected it was going to be sort of just this epic epic storytelling but with that grounded gritty quality that denny Villeneuve is uh is known for uh i certainly have more thoughts but gentlemen first impressions of this epic trailer mikey uh i was blown away i so i i have read half of dune uh at the mm. beginning of quarantine i was like i want to read dune because i'm excited for this movie and i've read about half of it and then i took a break and started reading some other stuff and also i real i knew uh that the that they're splitting this story up into two movies mm -hmm. so this movie that we're getting is kind of the first half so i feel like even watching the trailer today i was like okay this all is very familiar to me i think i've got all this down but uh i was saying to my brother um, of all the movie trailers that I've seen that are based on source material, I think this one, to me, 
pretty much just dead on nailed how I pictured everything. I mean, mm -hmm. I think that I think that every single character was looking exactly right. The moments were right. Uh, sort of the the futuristic look of a lot of the tech combined with sort of this ancient look of like uh, Arrakis and some of the other stuff. Like, I just think uh, I already, you know, I already kind of retweeted the trailer on Twitter and was already getting into conversations where a lot of people who are lovers of Dune the book, who are not the biggest fan of the adaptations of Dune, mm -hmm. uh, are kind of hopefully optimistic because this one really, really looks like uh, they are just making sure that they are doing everything exactly the right way. Uh, and to Shannon's point, I mean, this is just, it's star studded. I know that when we were talking about uh, like Murder on the Orient Express and those movies, we were saying that, you know, even though maybe those movies weren't the most epically satisfying movies, just seeing all those stars was fun. And yeah. this is that, but on like super sci-fi steroids. Like this is an epic sci-fi retelling of one of the most famous sci-fi stories ever told with a cast that you just can't even believe you're seeing on screen. Um, and it just, it just like, it totally blew me away. I mean, like, especially in the era that we're living in right now where we're so starved for entertainment in general, uh, this kind of was the promise of getting back to the big epic tentpole movies that we have been missing all summer yeah i have to echo both your sentiments um i didn't know what to expect because i do love denis villeneuve but this is such a complex book to adapt and with a, a lot of complex storylines a lot of subplots all that going on and then a lot of like nothing going on, just conversation as things go through uh, uh, through the uh, storylines in the book. So you're like, okay, how are you going to make this exciting? And I think Denis really knocked it out of the park. And you say, Shannon, it's a long trailer, right? Because they want to put you already mentally in the mood that this is going to be a longer movie. This is going to be split up into two separate movies, but each of those movies are going to be extensive, are going to be long. Certainly he's not shy about doing that. Blade Runner 2049 was, I think, two hours and 45 minutes. So lengthwise, he's not shy about it, but he did fill this trailer with a lot of intrigue and interest and excitement there's fat there's battle scenes there's scopes there's a you know the the size of it is massive rather the scope is incredible the cinematography is great everything that they've set up the the costumes are are, are badass and yeah everybody i mean that shot of oscar isaac with that beard and the hair i mean it's just great stuff rebecca ferguson and they give you the intrigue from the beginning with that woman speaking to timothy chalamet and saying you know you're gonna you're gonna uh, have to do this or that you, you you've learned to master yourself now you're gonna have to learn to master others something no one else from your family has ever done so already we're in it and connected to this kid's story timothy chalamet's story and that's our way in you know sandworms and you know battles and family issues all that aside it's the kid we're connected to what what journey are we going on with this kid and they did a great job in the trailer of giving you a good idea of what chalamet's character's journey is it was very reminiscent of the king you know, him playing Henry V in The King for that Netflix movie, you had that vibe that he's like, he's got this greatness thrust upon him, and now he's got to learn how to deal with that responsibility and with that power and do something to change the world. And so I was seeing it throughout, I think I really enjoyed that very much. And I'm, I'm glad they left the sandworm all the way to the end of the trailer. It wasn't trying to get you into the movie. It was, this is the real human story. And yes, there's this fantastical stuff going on, but there's a real human story that you can connect to here. Yeah, I think you make a really good point. Uh, I think some of the people that I was talking to on Twitter were kind of saying that same thing. Like, I was like, well, the, the trailer looks amazing. It looks like the book. And they're like, sure, it looks like the book. But the spectacle, like, we all know 
that they're going to get that part right. Right. Uh, are they going to get those smaller moments? And there's so many kind of to your point, so much of the book are these sort of small conversations and these yeah. subtle distinctions in the way someone's interpreting something. And I think that the way that they set up the trailer uh, gave me hope. And the fact that Villeneuve, if you look at like, uh, I mean, take any of them, take Sicario, take Blade Runner, take Arrival. Uh, he really is great at those smaller moments yeah. as well in each of those movie movies. So I do kind of feel like he's the right director for this story. Yeah. Uh, but I think that your point is that the trailer does a really good job of there's a huge world and it definitely shows you the the depth and the width of the world that they're that you were going to be diving into but it keeps you very very grounded in an emotional story and i think that that's the key to dune like if you can yeah. keep that throughout the movie or throughout both movies that we are focused on the human story focused on what we're emotionally engaging with yeah. uh with everything else surrounding it i think you'll be good and if you just focus on the spectacle and how crazy and ridiculous and wacky and you know big the world is uh you're going to end up with a dune that is like the one in the 80s which has the people that love it and the people that <laughs> yeah have a lot of feelings about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, even even the spectacle side, uh, the the spectacular side of the filmmaking, you're running it through that Villeneuve that Villeneuve uh, filter. Yeah, that it's like it would be very easy for that sandworm uh, sandworm sequence at the end to be everyone's running at camera, the sand's exploding through the screen. It's not that. I mean, when I was looking at that, I'm like, God, this reminds me of footage of like a big a big wave rider like you know you see those guys surfing like it's back it's it's big but it's still very very intimate and this by far is the biggest movie that i think villeneuve has ever done so it's going to be really really interesting to see how his sensibilities kind of cross-pollinate with that big action hollywood special effects filmmaking yeah you make an excellent yeah. point here shannon about that at the end there because i mean um throughout the trailer we're seeing this kid navigate or this young man rather navigate the stages of his increasing power and responsibility and growth and the people you know we see jason momoa go on one knee bend the knee uh towards the kid and put his hand on also very similar very henry fifth moment but that end sequence with the sandworm could have, if it's michael bay it's like, ah! you know and everything's flying around and some you know scantily clad woman is running or something like and that's the michael bay approach but the villeneuve approach because it's a more human approach a more vulnerable approach he runs but then stops to turn and look at it and embrace with his eyes the enormity of it and not with fear a more like a willingness to confront it and it could be symbolic because that sandworm could be his own fear and security about him taking on this mantle to lead these people and turn back uh, what previous generations have done in his family and lead these people correctly on a strange planet. And so all of that can be played into it as well, which I enjoyed. Yeah. And, you're, and I mean, that is literally during the part where the voiceover is saying the fear is the mind killer. So mm -hmm. uh, yeah, definitely, definitely right on point there. So yeah, I'm, I'm super stoked. I am. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just, like I said, like a, I was already excited for this movie uh, you know, as I've been reading Dune, I've realized just how much George Lucas cribbed from Dune <laughs> that he was creating Star Wars. How dare you? In a way, in a way, uh, in a way, Dune is just Star Wars without the Western and World War II vibes. Like, it's just like, like George Lucas took Dune and then he took his love of like World War II and then he took his love of like the Western and he kind of like <laughs> put it in a blender, shook it up, asked Joseph Campbell to taste it and was like, how does this taste? What should I add to it? 
but yeah, like Dune has so many elements. So like it 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 is going to be interesting to see in a post Star Wars world where yeah. Star Wars is our big mythology. Uh, a, do they really get it right? And B, if they do get it right, what do modern audiences who aren't as familiar with this story feel right. uh, in a in a in a world of people who have just grown up with Jedi's and a galaxy far, far away? It'll be yeah, interesting and, to see. And I hope the next trailer we get a little more was in Day because she was just a vision or a someone he's going to meet in the trailer, and a little more with Rebecca Ferguson. We see her, but she never speaks. So I, I'd like to see a little bit more of that. So she, we'll I, I'll say, based on the book, like she's yeah. maybe one of the characters I'm most excited about as lady jessica cool. like i think that her her uh her character just fascinates me so like she's actually the one uh that i'm really stoked to find out because yeah she she plays a major major role so yeah, uh yeah. I, I think it's gonna be really cool yeah cool December um, December 18th yeah as of so right far. now so we'll far fingers crossed <laughs> put on the hazmat suits and head to the movie theater yeah you know who's <laughs> mad right now christopher nolan he's mad right now he had the news cycle for about two days on Tenet, and now here comes June. Oh, I know he's upset. You know he's upset. He's, uh, sitting, at, he's sitting at home right now, and the music in his house is just going, wah, wah, dude. Uh, all right, what's our second story? Uh, our second story, uh, speaking of space, uh, <laughs> is that uh, we've got a brand new trailer for season three of Star Trek Discovery that dropped yesterday in honor of Star Trek Day. Uh, so that's really, really exciting. A, happy Star Trek Day to everybody. Uh, yes. You know, kind of really, really exciting. Um, you know, we talk so much about Star Wars on the show and like we're all varying lovers of Star Trek in different ways and different places. It's a Shannon the least yes uh, but and and roca the most original most classic star trek fan and me as more of a next generation and beyond kind of guy but a lover of the original movies but like star trek is such an interesting thing and what's really kind of cool about star trek which leads into what's really cool to me about this star trek discovery season three trailer is that gene roddenberry sort of created this very um optimistic and hopeful future in the way that he looked at the United Federation of Planets. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that what we really celebrate when we celebrate Star Trek is we celebrate a world where we as humanity have gotten past all of our issues. Yeah. Uh, and as uh, a United Federation of multiple planets, we've gotten past our issues so that we can all work together for the betterment of the entire universe. And I think that, you know, of course, now more than ever, that sounds a like a far off future, but be like something we all really, really crave. And I think that uh, there's a lot of things to celebrate about Star Wars, but when we celebrate Star Trek, that's what we're celebrating, which is what makes Star Trek uh, Discovery's new stories really, really cool because they have been hurtled far, far off into the future at the end of season two and are now entering a world where the Federation has kind of fallen. Um, based on this trailer, we find out that when they do get to the future, um, the crew of the Discovery, they find out that something called the burn happened that, as they say in the trailer, kind of sent the entire universe on a severe left turn. Um, they also released a panel yesterday uh, where the creative team talked a little bit about the movie or about the about the new season. And they said that um, the Federation still exists in this far off future in some form, but it is a much less informed than it was. So really, when you look at this trailer, uh, what they're really doubling down on is this idea that the crew of the Discovery kind of makes it their mission to kind of bring the Federation back to their to its glory. And even in this panel, they said that this future version of the universe that they land on kind of feels a little bit more like our modern day today. Uh, lots of infighting, lots of issues. And that using the Federation as kind of this thing to kind of bring um, 
the universe back to some sort of semblance of peace and harmony sounds really, really cool. And of course, it being Star Trek Discovery, there's still a ton of action, uh, a ton of excitement, a ton of new characters. Uh, one of the things that's really, really cool uh, that they kind of announced um, a little bit before uh, this panel was that they're also introducing uh, two brand new characters. Uh, in addition to yeah. some of the new cast that's coming on in the returning cast, they're introducing uh, Blue Del Barrio playing a non-binary character named Adira and Ian Alexander playing a transgender Trill character named Gray. Uh, for any uh, Deep Space Nine fans, they will obviously know who the Trill are. It's sort of a race of aliens that sort of combine with a symbiont that it lives inside them. That's this wormy looking thing and uh, can live long times and so you get a lot of kind of interesting gender issues. So I think just uh, just as Star Trek Discovery kind of added uh, LGBTQ characters on the ship when it premiered, it's they're very much doubling down on a crew and a cast that is uh, very, very diverse, which, as I said, is in keeping with Gene Roddenberry's vision and what Star Trek Day is all about. Um, so that was a lot of talking. What did you guys think of the trailer? Sure. Yeah, I mean, I again, I have never watched an episode of Star Trek Discovery. I knew that we were going to be talking <laughs> about it for the show today, so I went ahead and watched the trailer. Great trailer. As far again, I have no idea what's going on, and the fact that the first line is "We got flung into the future," and I'm like, oh well, now I don't need to watch season two. Um, but <laughs> everything about it, I think the thing that makes Star Trek really, really interesting as a viewer, and again, this comes from someone who, who doesn't really watch Star Trek, is the interplay with the crew. And the moments that you had between Anthony Rapp and Tignataro, um, that is clearly a, like a light kind of, you know, poking at each other relationship that they have. I'm like, see, this is this is the stuff I actually I actually enjoy. I get a little I get a little bogged down in the science of like, oh God, okay, we're going to another going to another planet here. Um, but the vibe, the vibe. So, so I, I just want to be clear. I just want to be clear on this. The traveling to planets in Star Trek is too much science for you, but in Star Wars, we're good. Well, in one trilogy of the Star Wars, we're good. Let's be specific. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Um, but no, I mean, I thought the trailer was uh, was definitely enjoyable. I mean, I don't know if I will go back and watch because are they ten episode seasons? Yeah. Yes. I don't know if I will go back and watch 20 hours of television. Well, well, this is the part of the Geek Buddies. This is the part of the Geek Buddies where Roke is about to say, you don't have to. You can skip season one. Everybody hates it. But season two is great. And then I butt in and say, not everybody hates season one. A lot of people love season one. And you really should watch all 20 because season one is really, really great and has some awesome stuff into it. And season two is also really good. Uh, and you should definitely watch all of it. Uh, okay, then I will say this. 10, up, 10 hours of TV is more likely, but still not probably going to happen. So and, uh, Yeah, and you shouldn't need to. I, I think this is why they did what they did. And I appreciate Mike uh, uh, enacting a scene for us. But this is something that – and he's correct, by the way. He's correct, by the way. But, like, this is uh, – I think this is why they did this. I think the first season was uh, it split, you know, down the middle. People hated it. People loved it. Uh, it's certainly a divisive thing. It's like The Last Jedi of Star Trek. And then the second season, people felt more on board with it, felt more reminiscent of the old school Star Trek. So more people were on board with it, but still people had issues with it. Certainly some of the Star Trek heads out there who, who are, you know, who base their YouTube channels on analyzing Star Trek. A lot of them felt it was too violent. It was too angry. It wasn't correct. hundred percent correct uh, that some of the characters wouldn't do the things that they're doing. It's the Spock situation. There were a lot of issues. So 
people still weren't 100% on board. And I think this is such a smart way for them to just go, look, we're going to send them 938 years into the future. It's 3381. The Federation is destroyed. We're going to give them a mission to bring the Federation back together. Now, uh, that allows you to be like, well, if I didn't miss the first two seasons, can I jump in the third one? Yes, you can. Maybe some things will be alluded to that you'll have to do some research on, but you probably don't need to have watched the first two seasons. This is the way of getting everybody back on board. They even got a new logo to kind of symbolize that it's a rebirth, a new beginning of this of this show. So that's exciting for me, too. For those of us who watched the first two seasons, we'll enjoy it even more. But for those who didn't, I don't think you have to. And I think it's smart of them to let people kind of jump in here and discover it and not have to go backwards. But I was seeing online in a number of places critiquing the trailer, critiquing the story within the trailer, that it feels a lot like Andromeda, which is Kevin Sorbo's uh, sci-fi series that he did, the Gene Rod, that based on Gene Roddenberry concepts, this idea of a ship that is, and crew, that is sent in the future through a wormhole, 357 years into the future, and their federation, their collection is destroyed by some something else. It's not called the burn, it's called something else. Uh, and oh, they plane. have, huh? called the flame the flame yeah no, no it's not. it is not called the flame something really hot is what it, no but there's something and, and they have to put the federation back together and it's a four-year show of them trying to put the federation back together so some people are saying that that's a little bit how they're biting a little bit off the roddenberry stuff but i don't mind you know what because it's roddenberry and it's still within the universe so if they want to use some elements of that story that's still based in the roddenberry foundation I don't have a problem with it. You can ding them for it, but I think we've got better actors uh, for this situation than we did for that Andromeda show. No offense to Kevin Sorbo, the master thespian that he is. But that situation, <laughs> but that's, to me, I'm excited to see uh, what they're going to do now without the constraints of the Federation, without the constraints of needing to adhere to timelines and characters and mythology and what have you. They can just freely be themselves. And already you can tell Sinequa Martin Green radiates a different kind of uh, Michael than we've seen before she's more uh funny she's more relaxed she's more willing to let her emotions out and i enjoyed that about the trailer very much and of course they give her a love interest that gentleman named book uh and there's uh, so much more to explore the two characters coming in mike as you stated so then i think we'll get more of the character moments and then some of the science and that'll be the perfect combo to get people back on board so to speak for lack of a better term onto uh star trek discovery so i'm looking forward to it, it looks great yeah, I think uh, to your point, I do think this is probably a really great jumping on point. The other thing that I think they're doing, and I only bring this up because I know we're about to talk about Star Wars mm -hmm. and what Daisy Ridley said, and I think that this is apropos. Uh, when Discovery came out, they did, whether they realized it or not, kind of caused some problems for themselves from the bigger canon standpoint. Yes. As, yeah. as, as, as you said, a lot of Star Trek fans who love to analyze Star Trek were quick to point out. Having a ship that was able to do everything that the Discovery could do that predated the Enterprise yeah. was highly problematic. Yeah, yeah. Having a ship that had uh, hologram technology instead of just talking to somebody on the screen, like everything that they did that kind of made a very futuristic, cool looking show was very different. Even some of the crew members yeah. appeared in season one as if they contradicted certain things that we know about artificial life and other things. And starting with season two, they clearly went down a road to try and retcon yes. some of the stuff that people were upset about. Right. But I think back. what they did very wisely, and I think to your point is, they, by the end of season two, said, here's how we're going to solve this. Here's why you've never heard about this ship. Right. Boom. 
It is gone. And they make a point of saying at the end of season two that everything about the discovery is highly classified and nobody can talk about it. Yeah. So what they've done in effect is they had some issues. uh, And I'm going to say this the way I'm going to say this because we're going to revisit it in just a second with another uh, galaxy far, far away. They had some issues in the way they set everything up. Yeah. And rather than just flail around and come up with 18 different answers in 18 different seasons, they chose a new direction, moved towards that direction and have now landed in a spot where they have gotten out of the mess that they created pretty eloquently. I think I hope we'll see. But everything you said, it does allow them exactly the way you said it to now have a certain sense of freedom where they don't have to work within the boundaries of are we allowed to do this because they are now kind of on a wide open canvas creatively. My concern will come with, uh, and it's funny you bring up the ship, Mike. Uh, The ship was advanced uh, when it was appearing in season one and season two. Now it's 931 years in the future. Is that ship now uh, archaic uh, compared to what technology they may or may not have in the future? So that'll be curious to see uh, if the ship is somehow uh, something they haven't seen in a long time. Or like yeah. the Millennium Falcon, like all of a sudden this bucket of bolts can still work all the way this far into the future. So will it be that kind of ship or, that, yeah, that's legend or, has, or whatever? Or has technology taken a severe downturn? Yeah, because, because of everything all the, is, yeah, I mean, like yeah. it could be either way. So yeah. I do think the way that they interact with both the crew and the technology on the Discovery will hopefully be a big part of it because that's a great part of any sort of time travel story. So we'll see. But definitely super excited. Premieres October 15th uh, on CBS All Access. Right. Uh, if you don't live in the States, I'm not sure what the premiere date is, but it will premiere on Netflix, I believe, internationally. Yeah. Um, so stay tuned. I'm sure we'll talk about it more. Shannon will maybe watch some episodes, maybe not. Maybe we'll do what we did with um, uh, Picard, where you can just dive in on season three and we'll see how you like oh, yeah. it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, as we'll as and, and I respond with the expertise. Yes. <laughs> yes. That seems fair. I think that seems fair. Uh, all right. Well, let's, oh, move on to our last, uh, let's move on to our last uh, story. We'll, we'll make this one quick. It's been burning up the internet this morning. But of course, people are kind of tired of the story, but we should cover it. Uh, and Daisy Ridley was on uh, uh, with Josh Gad uh, as he co-hosted or guest hosted for Jimmy Kimmel Live uh, last night as we're recording this uh, and revealed that at first her character was going to be a descendant of Obi-Wan Kenobi. This is her quote at the beginning. There was toying with an Obi-Wan connection. There were different versions. Then it really went to it was no one. And then it came to episode nine and JJ pitched me the film and was like, oh, yeah, Palpatine's granddaddy. Then two weeks later, he was like, oh, we're not sure. Uh, So it kept changing. So then even as we were filming, I wasn't sure what the answer was going to be. Now, once again, this completely split the fandom all over again. There were people who are defending it, saying, hey, George Lucas made sure no one knew that uh, Vader was his dad, uh, you know, Skywalker's dad until they shot that scene. Other people seeing, see, this validates. They never had a plan. They didn't figure it out. They just winged it as they went along. All of that uh, kind of uh, led to explosion uh, on, and it's a 45 second clip, but it caused such a furor in the Star Wars universe. But, you know, by the same token, I think this finally 100% finish this, finishes this issue off. There wasn't a plan. They didn't 100% figure things out before they started this. They were willing to make a bunch of changes, even on the fly, even as they were shooting. And then by the end, this is what we got. Let's move on. That's basically my thought about this whole thing. I, and I love Daisy. Really, I think she's a fantastic actress. It's unfortunate that she's going to have to keep talking about this for the rest of her fucking life. But then again, she wouldn't be where she is now if it wasn't for this uh, opportunity she was uh, she earned. And so uh, overall, though, I'm like, okay, great. There's no plan. 
We knew that they were changing their minds left and right. There was obviously issues between Ryan and JJ and how they wanted to construct this whole thing and Captain Kennedy and whoever else was involved here. Uh, but in the end, this is what we got. No, nothing's going to change it. Let's all just move on, realize what it was, and let's look forward to what else we got coming down the pike from Star Wars. What do you two gentlemen think about the, what she had to say and, and uh, uh, the reaction to it? I mean, I, I think you summed it up pretty perfectly, Johnny, that like it's it happened. It happened like this. This has happened. There's no amount of discussion after the fact that it is going to change what we got. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I think that does that does sort of personify the whole flying flying by the seat of their pants and why you know why that's not always the best idea that they right. didn't really have like this is this is the focal point of your trilogy and you didn't really know you didn't have it locked down who she was and that's not to say that you can't make some changes little things here and there where the the the, the writing kind of dictates it like she goes off on this journey she goes off on that journey but kind of figuring out who she was, where she came from, that's kind of important when you're launching a three, uh, you know, a three movie story. Yeah. So, but, but yeah, I mean, I agree. Like there's, there's no point in, in chatting about this now. Like, I mean, I think no one's, no one's going to ask Kathleen Kennedy this, but it's like, do you, do you think she looks back and realize she made a mistake? Yeah. 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 <laughs> the, pr the proof is in the pudding. Like it, it did, it didn't turn out well. Um, yeah. And and they have you know the 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 ramifications that are that are that are, that are going to follow that. But at the end of the day, the movies, even though Rise of Skywalker didn't make as much money as the previous movies, it still made a ton of money. They're still going to make they're still going to make Star Wars. I think going forward, they're just going to be a little more careful. Yeah, Mike. Yeah, I think the reason that it's good to talk about it to a degree as like the the sour grapes the i was right you were right i was yeah. wrong you were like it that doesn't really matter to your point it happened it's done i think more as just like an interesting learning process uh yeah. like to my precautionary you're right you're right going in and knowing the direction you're going to is obviously preferable so whether it is you know adapting something like lord of the rings or dune and knowing that you're gonna like you've got a roadmap um or um something like uh you know, uh, Nolan's Batman trilogy or something where like, you know, like there's movies where you clearly have a plan and you sort of follow that plan as much as you, as much as you can. Sometimes you're going to make a mistake or you're going to shift gears, which is why I think the Star Trek discovery thing is so interesting because they clearly have spent multiple seasons going, we chose a direction. Some stuff wasn't as thought out as we maybe thought it was. And I think Star Trek Discovery shows a really good way of sort of like course correcting on the go and moving into a new direction where Star Wars, uh, this trilogy kind of shows a, like the truth of the matter is no matter what your opinion of the movies are and no matter what your opinion of any of the individual choices of Ray's parentage in any of the movies is, Ray being a Kenobi, while a little bit expected, is a great choice. Yes. Ray being nobody is a great and interesting choice. Ray being the granddaughter of Palpatine is a great and interesting choice. Any one of these is a completely valid creative choice that built up could have been epic and amazing. Like none of these are actually wrong. As much as we right. all want to argue about being a Kenobi is this or being nobody isn't part of what Star Wars is about. Like the end of the argument is any of these creative choices is 100% valid. And when a bunch of a creative people... Um, when the Kathleen Kennedys and the JJs and the Ryans and the whoever gets in a room in Hollywood and it's at the beginning of this process, 
it works pretty much the way it works when a bunch of geeks get in a room and talk about what they would like to see in Star Wars or Star Trek. Mm -hmm. You throw a bunch of stuff against the wall. You argue about it. You say you can't do this because in this episode of this, we said this. Well, you could do this. So that would be interesting. No, the fans are going to know that. Like all of the discussions that we have are the exact same discussions that happen in those rooms. And you come out with a choice. And as we've said over and over and over again, they chose something or in JJ's case kind of chose not to choose, which I think is where the entire mm -hmm. problem began. Yeah. Um, kind of JJ did his classic. Uh, I'm going to begin you know, something. You guys I'm gonna, figure it yeah, out. I'm going to begin yeah. something, but I think the fun is in the mystery. I've yeah. given you the mystery box here. Yeah. Your turn now. And Ryan Johnson for better or for worse did exactly what he was directed to do, which is like, cool. I like this mystery box. Here's what I think the surprise is surprise. And then JJ was like, I do not like that. I'm taking my mystery box back and I'm going to replace it with this. And that's where the problem came in. But so I think it's interesting, um, John, to your point. Yes, this pretty much confirms with what we all can clearly tell anyways, that there wasn't really a plan. And I also think to Shannon's point, yeah, they all know they've fucked up. Every fucking geek site in the world, if they didn't know, has reported over and over again, including us, that they fucked up and yeah. they should have a plan. Um, so... I think that that will happen moving forward. And in a bit of fun Star Wars news, Entertainment Weekly just released a ton of photos from Mandalorian season two yeah. uh, as part of their big fall TV preview. Uh, and so, you know, as much as we can all argue and be sad and bemoan the choices and the roads not taken in this uh, last Star Wars trilogy, Baby Yoda's back, and he's going to sip some tea and tell us that it's all going to be fine. Yeah, yeah. we'll see. Uh, as long as uh, Gina Cron stops talking about people not wearing masks. Uh, this whole situation as a one, two, three is how it works, right? Um, uh, it started with Oscar Isaac say, saying what he said about not wanting to come back and uh, you know doing other things besides big franchise movies and the loss of control there, and then and how he would and how he would have totally made Finn and Poe gay. Yeah, totally. Yeah, which is great, which is uh, fantastic. And I dream course, about him saying that. So. Which is, of course, safe to say now in retrospect, but I understand, you know, it, we'll see. And, and then the second thing is uh, uh, Boyega's interview with British GQ, which, of course, Star Wars tried to kind of undercut by releasing the uh, announcing the re release date of Mando season two on the same day. Uh, and then this situation. So it was Oscar Isaac to John Boyega to Daisy Ridley closing the loop the three main characters now coming out on their own the three main actors coming out on their own speaking one right after the other and then closing this box and helping us move on and i uh i think that's how it should be and it's those are the main people involved in it they're out of their contracts so they're free to speak their mind and they've told you the actual truth of what happened and now we can all just go okay good it sucks we hate it. Some of you may love that original. Uh, so, sorry, the sequel trilogy, just like people love the prequel trilogy and people love the original trilogy. But this is the actual thing that happened. And you may you're allowed to love it as much as you like. But this is what actually happened. As long as you accept that there wasn't a plan, they were winging it and there were issues. And don't give me this Ryan Johnson versus J.J. Abrams bullshit. Both of those directors fucked this thing up. OK, both of them. And they don't get a pass. Yo mama jokes don't get a pass as much as J.J. Abrams winging it or not being able to finish it or land the plane at the end uh, it doesn't get a pass. Neither one of these directors get a full pass in this situation. So I don't want to see people pitting J.J. against Ryan. They're all in the same boat. I, it's done. Let's move on. I know that we're, I know that we're moving on. I, I would just say, <laughs> I would just say. Um, we're I, moving I, on. I would, I would actually say that I don't think that either – J.J. Abrams or Ryan Johnson is really fully to blame. I, rather than saying neither of them gets a pass, 
say what you want about your mama jokes or the tonal things that you don't like that Ryan Johnson did. And obviously say what you want about rise of Skywalker, because there's a ton that we've all said about it, but JJ Abrams came in and aside from maybe not deciding everything that needed to be decided, it was a great movie, gave us a movie that felt a lot like star Wars. It had the problems, had the problems that JJ kind of has in general, which is clearly didn't really know how, where he was going. And it felt a lot kind of like, uh, kind of like super eight did. It felt like an homage to star Wars more than an original star Wars. Ryan Johnson came in, gave us something that was wholly new and different, did some things tonally that rubbed people the wrong way, but gave us a really big, huge, awesome, amazing Star Wars movie with amazing Star Wars moments and Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> In your opinion, yes, go ahead. I, no, I'm I'm saying that both directors gave great Star Wars moments. That you can't, you can not you can shake moments. your head, but like you can say that each one of these movies, including Rise of Skywalker has amazing Star Wars moments in But didn't them. I just say you're allowed to love the trilogy if you want? My only point but, is that but then you said that these directors, directors against each other. I agree that I agree That's that we shouldn't say them direct. I agree with that, but then you were like neither one of them gets a pass. And so I'm just then saying like get the pass. But I think that even J.J. Abrams with Rise of Skywalker kind of came in at the last minute and had everyone at Disney and Lucasfilm kind of like dogpiling on him and said, we want you to make this movie and end the trilogy. But by the way, here's absolutely everything you can and can't do because we're really concerned about these 95 things. And even Boyega in the GQ article was like, don't come at J.J. Like he did his best. He wasn't supposed to come in here. So what I'm saying is not only should we not pit J.J. and Ryan against each other because it's stupid and I just think it's silly. Even though I have major issues with this trilogy and it's definitely not my favorite thing about Star Wars, I think J.J. and Ryan both did the best they could under impossible circumstances. Okay. You're entitled to your opinion. Um, all right. So let's take it and, and, you know, let us know what you think about these three <laughs> geek news items down below. Uh, and, uh, you know, leave a comment for us uh, as we do, as you do, because leaving comments and hitting the like button on this video kind of elevates the visibility of uh, this show and this channel on the YouTube algorithm. So thank you so much uh, uh, to everybody who's enjoyed the first half of the show. We're going to take a little bit of a break here and jump into the second half and uh, talk about this uh, big news item here with the Oscars and diversity. We'll be right back after this. There, he's back. He can do this. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, there it is. I found it, I found it. There it is. <laughs> anyway, all right. So anyway, uh, so uh, this broke this morning. Uh, uh, this was cr- I was up at four thirty this morning and reading all about this, then passed back out again because I have terrible nightmares sometimes. Uh, but this uh, c- kind of broke. So I was catching up with the East Coast people, uh, and uh, this broke uh, uh, this morning uh, from the Ampass, uh, the organization, the American Motion Picture Association of Arts and Sciences. They uh, released a new inclusivity and uh, diversity initiative uh, a set of rules for films to qualify for Best Picture starting in 2024. Uh, a film must meet at least two standards across four categories, on-screen representation themes and narratives, creative leadership and project team, industry access and opportunities, and audience development within each of these categories, a variety of criteria involving the inclusion of people in underrepresented groups, including women, people of color, LGBTQ plus people, and those with cognitive or physical disabilities. None of the Oscar categories have to meet this criteria. Only 
the best picture category does. And it used to be that you would just have to have a film that was over 40 minutes and it was screened uh, for a certain amount of time in a certain location or a certain city. Uh, this is oh, now what's happening uh, uh, for the Oscars to qualify best picture. Just to give you a little bit of a background, standard A is on-screen representation, themes, and narratives. To achieve standard A, the film must meet one of the following criteria, lead or significant supporting actors, and then they list all uh, the uh, minority, all the ethnicities that qualify for that, or 30% of all actors in secondary and more minor roles are from at least two of the following underrepresented groups. They say women, racial or ethnic, LGBTQ+, and of course, people with cognitive or physical disabilities. And A3, the main storyline subject matter must be about everything I just listed here. Also, to achieve standard B, the film must meet one of the criteria below at least two of the following creative leadership positions and department heads uh, uh, and list all the department heads that you can have on a movie must meet a must be women or racial uh, representative of a racial ethnic group LGBTQ LGBTQ plus uh, all of that and then uh, let's see standard C is the industry access opportunities which paid apprentice and internship opportunities once again making it available to all the groups I just listed uh, and then say uh, uh, category four standard D audience development representation and marketing publicity and distribution they have the studio or film company must have multiple in-house senior executives from among the following underrepresented groups and they list women and then racial ethnic groups uh, down the list LGBTQ plus and uh, people with cognitive or physical disabilities or who are deaf or hard of hearing so it's a lot to take in uh to look at this and certainly they did this with the agreement of the producers guild of america and the british film association which had been implementing this themselves already so all in conjunction and the next not this year but the next two years uh they're gonna have films who submit for best picture submit if they hit these categories in a confidential memo or email to the Academy to kind of get them in the rhythm and understanding what they have to do to qualify for these things. So gentlemen, I go to you. What do you think about this decision from the Ampass? Do you think they'll adhere to it? Uh, and do you see problems down the road? Well, I mean, I think it's, it was a, a surprising. Uh, certainly yeah, this is the first least. time that they're actually saying that they're not just talking about your film. They're talking about how you make your film. Mm -hmm. And the fact that, you know, it's it, it, it doesn't fully go in until 2024, correct? Like it, it starts ramping up in 2022. Yeah, um, in yeah. yeah I mean, looking, looking at the standards that they're setting forth, it doesn't seem like it should be that hard. Like it's like it's, it's crazy that people have to be told to do this, um, yeah. that it has to be it has to be made a rule for your film to qualify. Um, because just looking at, I mean, some of, some of the, uh, the, some of the key, like the head crew, like, mm -hmm. you know, they put costume designer up, they put casting up, mm -hmm. like there are some roles or there's some, uh, assignments on a film that are generally like most casting directors are, are women. Like that's, that's, that's a fact. Most costume designers are women. Um, mm -hmm. you don't think, you don't think most costume designers are women? I don't think that's actually true, but I think okay. that's a, I can take that, a look. Okay. That's, that is what, that is what I, that is what I assumed. And, you know, ass out of, out, out of you, not outside of me, not you, Mikey. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think this is obviously a good thing, but it, it just seems crazy. Like we had to make it a rule for it to, for, for it to become a reality. Mm. Yeah, uh, I think what's shocking, and we can talk about it, is the number of people that seem to think that this is the worst possible thing to happen to freedom <laughs> of creativity in the history of life. 
Uh, I'm with Shannon. Um, when you read through this, the standards are pretty low. I mean, and I don't mean that in like it's bad, but I mean like this is easy to hit. Like this yeah. is not hard. Um, I think that, uh, and we can talk about it, where a lot of people are just dog, just jumping on this thing is they read this and without going into the details of it, they say, oh, every movie has to have, uh, you know, a rainbow coalition in the cast. And so now we can never, you can never have a movie like the, like I've seen this on Twitter. Well, I guess we're never going to see The Godfather or I can't, I saw one that was like, I can't wait to see Schindler's List with the cast of Hamilton, which aside from the inherent racism uh, of Jesus. that and the fact that the cast of Hamilton would obviously sing the shit out of Schindler's List. Right. Um, like it's just dumb because as someone else then responded in Twitter, uh, all of those movies uh, would easily fulfill uh, these uh, categories if they just have a crew or uh, studio heads or the people doing marketing and PR or hire a bunch of interns and trainees people and pay them to learn the art of filmmaking. Like this is not a hard thing to do. And the fact that people are so angry about this right now and are so incensed about it kind of just underscores the fact that like, we're all fucking racist. Like this country just has this, this, this inherent issue that anytime anybody goes, it might be a good idea to get women or people of color or indigenous people or people who are differently abled, uh, into this system so that we can have a lot of different stories told people flip the fuck out and say that we're trying to ruin art. I'm like, okay, everybody take a breath. Like yeah. that's, it's a little much. Yeah. Um, uh, to follow up with Shannon said here, uh, according to the costume designer guild, they are 83% female. So it is a very right. predominantly female guild. And it is one of the rarest guilds. It's the rare guild that is predominantly female. That should say volumes too, as well. Uh, to people. And that's according to Variety, uh, their article on it breaking down. So this situation, yeah, I mean, I agree with both of you. It shouldn't be this difficult. But look, as a minority, I've seen this happen. As a minority who's been alive for numerous decades, I've seen this happen every single step of the way. Affirmative action in the 70s. No, you're trying to take jobs from white people. You're trying to give it to people of color who are less qualified. That inherent belief that you're trying to token out the situation rather than make it equal. Because Lord knows every single white person who ever got a job was completely qualified for that job, apparently. So it's the one of the most inherently ridiculous and stupid narratives, but it's all from a place of fear. It's all from a place of fear that something's being taken away from them. So they're being told what to do, right? We see people flipping out about wearing masks because they think they're being told what to do, but they have no problem wearing clothes into a store because guess what? You have to wear clothes into a store because or else you're going to get kicked out. It's, you're being told what to do by society. It's the same situation. People create narratives in their heads to be upset about a situation. How many people getting upset are actually going to make films and actually going to be subject to these regulations? Probably 0.0001%. For real. And those are the people, though, that are clamoring. Like Kirstie Alley, who hasn't been relevant in 25 years, is somehow a, a talking mess because she's got those red staters she needs to bait with red meat. And it's ridiculous. It's, it's unfortunate and it's a sad situation that the Academy, which has taken a lot of shit, and rightfully so, for the last 20 years, as the cacophony of minority voices got louder and louder of wanting to be included, wanting to be part of the, the conversation, wanting to vote on these movies, wanting them not to just you know nominate Green Book and let it win wanting to make legitimate changes in the industry uh is you know being vilified now for finally 
making a very strong and uh, a drastic change here uh, and being a kind enough or not say this being forward thinking enough to realize this it can't open over hand up but overnight it takes years to put into effect and they're gonna you know kind of figure this out as they work through it any kinks any issues they're smart enough to know they need a little bit of a runway before the plane takes off so that's what these next few years are going to be about and it also gives studios and independent studios which is a lot i see a lot of people complaining how independent studios might not necessarily be able to uh meet these criteria and qualify for best picture uh i understand that completely but a thousand percent i'll put my life on the line of every dollar i'll ever make Independent studios have be- have done a better job of representing minorities, LGBTQ people, uh, women with their films than main studios have. So there's a little more of uh, a track record of them highlighting those stories more. So I'm a little confused. I maybe you can yeah. explain this to me because uh, I didn't see these tweets. Yeah. What what is the cost issue? Like, why are we saying that it's harder for independent studios to fulfill these criteria? They're saying because uh, they're going to have to like, uh, uh, because the, um, the bigger studios have more jobs to give. So they're going to be able to hit that 30% with less people than the independent film studios. So some people are saying you put them in a position where, because if they're so desperate to make a movie, it, it may delay the movie, them having to find the right black person, the right LGBTQ person, the right. This is their complaints that it's going to take them longer to match these quotas in order to get their film made. I don't agree with it, but that's what they're, a lot of people are saying. Here. I mean, that is a completely that is just a ridiculously false statement. Uh, I mean, like, because it's not just saying that you have more roles. Like, yeah, okay, on a giant movie, there's more physical bodies than on a smaller movie. Right. But it's 30%. It's less than half. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and again, like, just getting into those specifics uh, in that specific category, yep. um, it's, uh, yeah, overall crew composite. It's, it's one of the three things. One of the three things here is either... Uh, creative leadership and department heads, at least two creative leadership people in your yep. in your independent studio have to be a woman or of color or gay or something, or not and or yeah, at yeah. least one of those positions must be long uh, must be uh, um, or other I'm sorry or the uh, at least thirty percent of your crew has to be made up of a mixture of those people. Yeah. Like again, yeah. as I said at the beginning, like this is not a high bar. Like right. this is not a challenging thing. Like, uh, it, and if it is challenging. You need to take a look at yourself. If it is, well, yeah, I think I think that's true. And I, I guess I wonder. To your point, I do think that the Dean Canes and the Kirstie Alleys and everyone who jumps on Twitter, relevant nobodies, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I that, that no, but that aside, I don't disagree with that. But like that aside, I think that they have found a niche, a niche for them, a niche for themselves in social media. Like this is what they do. Like that, any kind of. Any kind of divisive right versus left, oh, liberal yeah. versus conservative issue, they're going to jump on the conservative thing, and that's yeah. where they're getting their followers and their, you know, their, their internet attention, and their likes, and their attention, and their sponsors. Exactly, they, and they don't believe a word of it. It's just for attention. Because what a shock! Actors needing attention who are irrelevant. But, anyway. but to a lot of the people who are not you know, the celebrities looking for attention or the blue checkmark people, the people who are like actually responding to this on Twitter and are generally upset or worried about what this means for creative expression or freedom of expression. I mean, I would really encourage you to actually just go to the Oscar page and actually read through kind of like John did, read through 
the actual specifics of what's being asked. Uh, and I would, I would be surprised. I mean, maybe I'm an optimist, like maybe I'm too naive and optimistic, but like, I think that when you actually look at this, it becomes sort of a non-issue. Like yeah. I would hope that it does because no one is saying that every movie now has to have entirely this, that, or the other. Like if you want to tell a movie about ancient Rome and you want every Roman to be a white person, um, then you can do that, but it just means that the trade-off is you're going to have to do some other things like go hire yeah. a bunch of people who are underrepresented and make them paid interns on your set and teach them how to make movies so that they can go make movies about their stories. Like or elevate that is, the department heads. Yeah. Or elevate, or if you are a studio, look around and find these super yeah. talented, interesting, amazing, fascinating people who are not getting the shot right now right. and elevate them to the executive level and let them do this. And like what ultimately ends up happening, like the goal of all of this in the far off, like let's keep moving this down the road is that you fill the industry at all levels with the people in front of camera, the people behind camera, the people at studios, the people in every aspect of this, you have enough variety that everyone can tell their stories. White people are still going to get to tell their stories. No one, <laughs> yeah. Thus far in the history of life, no one has stopped white people from telling their stories. We keep doing it. Yeah. Um, but it just allows everyone else to be in those positions of power or to be in those junior positions on sets to learn what they're doing to eventually become in a position of power. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like if you're if you're making the next Schindler's List, then find the next Ryan Coogler and find the next Ava DuVernay and make them interns, you know, like find those young costume designers or those amazing cinematographers who just shot some amazing commercial yeah. and bring them in. Like that's all that anybody's saying. So, you know, for all the people that whether, you know, it's on the, it's on our YouTube channel in the comments we get below or, you know, on Twitter or wherever it is, like, I just really, to me, this is a, beyond just yelling at everybody and telling everybody that they're racist and stupid and how can you not be mad at this? It? Like, it's more of like, I would, I would welcome the dialogue of saying yeah. where, where is your upset here? Because yeah. there's up, this is upside for everybody. Yeah. That's my two cents. Yeah. Fair. Uh, yeah. Sure. Well, and it's also no one's saying you, you can't go make a movie the way yeah. you want to make it. If you can self-finance something, if you can pay for everything yourself, no one is saying you can't do it exactly the way you want to do it. Right. But if you want to qualify for, for this for this award, then there are some things there, there are some some things that you have to do to 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 make it eligible for that. And the whole I mean, I, I haven't read what Dean Kane or Kirstie Alley said, but I mean I really don't think the lifetime movie that they were gonna do is going to <laughs> is going to qualify right. for the best picture. Right. And, and the thing is, this is a great, uh, it's an interesting point you bring up, Shane, because look, Wes Anderson, nary a black person in his movies, rarely shows up or any person of color. Uh, you'll get it occasionally, certainly Danny Glover in, in uh, Rush, in uh, uh, um, Royal yeah, yeah. yeah, and then you'll get, you know, occasional other characters of color. But yeah, he tells white stories. He tells white stories. And same thing, Woody Allen tells white stories. Yeah, occasional person of color as well in his movies, but it's mostly white stories. So the compensation is you're going to have to staff in a certain way, as Michael said. Uh, and if you don't staff in that certain way, guess what? Your film doesn't qualify for best picture. And here's the thing you need to understand as well. As a filmmaker, you've known this from the beginning. You've had to do certain things to qualify to, to uh, get an A in your class, to qualify to uh, get a screenplay submitted and, and possibly win in a contest 
to submit a movie that could possibly win an, uh, you know, an award for every organization has regulations and rules you have to meet and adhere to in order for your film to qualify for uh, best picture. And or sorry, not for best, but to qualify to win uh, whatever uh, festival you're submitted to or to even be screened at a festival you submit to. So there's no different here. We're saying the top prize in the oh, not we, but Ampass is saying the top prize in the industry has these qualifications you need to meet. Jesus, mom, stop calling. She has uh, you have all these regulations you need to meet. And if you don't meet them, you don't get the top prize. And I'm sorry, that's the way it works. And you know what? For hundreds of years, you had it your way. Now things are changing. So adapt or get out of the way. That's basically it. And cry all you want, adapt or get out of the way. And I I hope most filmmakers, and I'm sure a lot of young filmmakers will be encouraged by this, excited by this. I think a lot of female LGBTQ people, uh, people with cognitive disabilities, physical disabilities, I think a lot of people of color are going to be, women are going to be excited about the doors opening more widely. And these studio executives now and these heads of studios are going to have to be more aware of this uh, and, uh, and, and be taken to task for it. You know, a sea change is happening once and for all in this industry. Who cares what the crybabies say outside uh, of the situation? They're trying to make real change here. And I hope, I hope they do it. I hope the Academy doesn't backtrack because of pressure from studio heads or whatever. I hope they go forward with this and actually make it happen. And they've been making steps over the last five years to do so. So I hope they adhere to it and stay strong. Yeah, with malleability, obviously, but the uh, intention has to remain uh, throughout this whole situation to make it happen. Well, and to Shannon's point, what Dean Cain said was basically, I don't have the tweet in front of me, but he basically said, remember when we used to just choose the best picture best on, based on what was actually the best picture, kind of implying that we were now, it's now like a social justice award rather than an yeah. art award. And I would just kind of call back to uh, kind of, as Johnny was saying, like the only one of the four categories deals with the on-screen creative uh, you know, only one category is you need to have main characters or an ensemble cast or your story needs to deal with this thing. And we do need more stories like that. And if you're telling a modern day story that's not set in a specific time period, your cast and should be naturally diverse because that's what the world looks like. But beyond that, you're putting the studios on notice. You're putting yep. the different uh, production positions on notice. You're putting the person who's hiring the interns and uh, people on notice. And you're putting the companies that do the PR and the marketing on notice. And you're saying to everybody, like, look, if you want to allow people to continue to just tell the stories that they want to tell, however they want to tell them, you're going to have to like hire a lot more people in these different areas. Uh, like, so it's it's this whole like we're not there. There's 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 not a lot of censorship of the type of stories that you can tell going on and the people right. that feel that the people that feel that this is all of a sudden coming out as we can only tell this type of story or can only cast this type of person that's absolutely kind of not what's happening it's more of like a holistic look at the entire entertainment industry and saying we need more voices everywhere right and we want you to just do a little bit more yeah if you want to win the best picture and look If you want want this award, right? If you want to be be eligible for this award, that's it. There are hundreds of movies that are going to come out every year that won't meet this criteria because you know why? They're not looking to try to win a best picture. They're just trying to make a movie. So that's not what this is affecting. 
This is affecting those films and studios make these films that they try to uh, angle to get that top prize for notoriety and attention for their studio. If you make these films, these are the regulations you're going to have to adhere to. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I would even say, I I would even go so far as to say, like, I don't even like looking at it that way. Like, I would hope that people would look at this and go, again, I know that not everybody will. I'm not that brave. But I, I would hope that anybody would look at this list and say, you know what? Like, if I was working at a studio and this list came out, I would look at it and say, you know what? Even our movies that we know are not going to be best picture contenders, this is a good rule of thumb. Yeah. Like, this is like, do like, like, here's my movie that's set in modern day New York City. If I can't make sure that a certain number of the cast represents the diversity of New York City, I'm probably doing something wrong. And if for some reason I'm telling a story that happens to have, a very specific racial makeup of the cast. Yeah. Let's go hire some people in like, let's, let's bring in a bunch of interns. Let's do this. Let's look at who we're promoting within our studio. Like this is, as I said, like, I think that I, I don't like saying to people like, look, if you want to get best picture, this is what you need to do. And if you want to make your movie, the way you make your movie, go do it. Cause yeah. even to those people, I would say you should just be doing this. Like it's just yeah. the way that we should be looking at everything. But that is me. And I know I'm, preaching to the choir and I'm naive. So that is that. <laughs> no. and, yep. and there are more female costume designers. <laughs> oh my God. Anyway. Uh, and you know, so that's, that's our thoughts on it. We should wrap up here. Mike has got a phone call to jump on. Uh, thank you. All oh, so I do. Much. Yeah, yeah. So thank you all so much for watching this episode of geek buddies. Really appreciate you all taking the time to download it or uh, to watch it on YouTube. Uh, Mikey, let's start with you first that you got to jump off on a call. What do we got to tell them? Search your feelings. Reach out with the force. Reach out with the force. <laughs> Click the like button below. With the healing oil. Leave a comment. Uh, like if you if you enjoyed this, if you enjoyed the conversation, uh, definitely like below. Definitely subscribe to John's page. Absolutely leave us comments on here. We love to engage with you guys. Uh, share us on Facebook. Share us on Twitter. Uh, if you're listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Anchor or wherever you listen to your podcasts, do the same thing. Um, the more that you rate us, leave comments, leave feedback, we go up higher in the ratings, more people find us, and more people can join in the conversation. And we love engaging with you guys. And so let's keep doing it. Shannon? Yeah, if you'd like to follow us on social media, on Twitter, it's at geek underscore buddies. On Instagram, at the underscore geek underscore buddies. If you would like to follow me on social media, on Twitter, it's at Shannon underscore McClung. On Instagram, at Shannon the Geek Buddy. If you'd like to follow Mr. Vogel, it's at MKToon. If you'd like to follow Mr. Roca, it's at the Roca Sis. Yeah, thank you all so much for watching. Thanks to Mike and Shannon for all that information. And uh, we will talk to you next time on another episode here of the Geek Buddies. Hey! Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. 
That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.